Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. In front of the net to McDavid scores! There's number 15! Eugene Hopkins did not like that hit on Kyler Yamamoto and lands a clubbing right hand that fells Justin Hall. Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Brought to you by James H. Brown and Associates, Alberta Injury Lawyers, the heavy hitters of injury law. It is time to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, and to boldly eat more potato chips than anyone has ever eaten before. It is Inside Sports, truly the final frontier. Thanks a lot for joining us tonight. Hope your work week is off to a good start. I was off last week. Thanks to Dave Campbell for filling in for me. While I was away, the Edmonton Elks did not win, which we will discuss tonight. We will talk a little bit about their upcoming opponent, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, who, oh my goodness, those games on Saturday. What finishes in the doubleheader in the CFL. So first of all, you had Winnipeg heavily favored against Ottawa and looking like they were cruising to victory. And then Ottawa gets 16 points in the final three minutes, including a touchdown and a two-point convert with no time on the clock, and then beats Winnipeg in overtime 31-28. And then that back-and-forth wild finish in Regina with Calgary beating Saskatchewan 33-31 on a last-play 50-yard field goal after the Riders had gone ahead on, quite frankly, a a fluky but incredible 3rd and 24 conversion that it looked like Calgary was going to intercept. Instead, they tipped it up in the air. Saskatchewan grabs it and runs it into the end zone. By the way, uh, I, I know sometimes maybe Ryder Nation feels like I'm trolling them a little bit and I realize the uh, team here in Edmonton is not very good this year but uh, oh oh my oh my I think the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are proof it's better to be lucky than good because they are not good yet they uh, are somehow 3-2 and two on the season and uh could be 0-5, quite frankly, without a break or two along the way. Anyway, that's not the main topic tonight. Hope you're doing well. You can get in touch, 780-496-0063. That's the hotline presented by Certainty, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. Certainty Pro all the way. You can email insidesports at 630ched.com. I'm always especially flattered when I get an email. And if you want to send me a message on Twitter, it is at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S, my DM are open. Okay. Well, here's where we're going, first of all, with the uh, Edmonton Elks season. Thanks to Brendan Escott, by the way, my colleague in the sports department, as we were kind of both looking this stuff up. The Elks are 0-6. They are not good. I tweeted after their loss on Thursday to Hamilton that this could be an 0-18 team. Again, as I've been saying the last few weeks, It's no longer where do the wins come, it's where does the win come. Where does the one win come? And don't forget the next three games are against two of the top three teams in the league, despite 
Winnipeg stumble in Ottawa. Well, maybe it was more of a stumble. It was a complete face plant. But still, despite that, I would say the top three teams in the league to me are Winnipeg, BC, and Toronto. The Elks' next three games are Winnipeg, BC, and then Winnipeg again. They do have a bye week in there. So they won't lose that week, which is assuring. Uh, so, I mean, we could be looking at 0-9. Like, we're already looking ahead a month to see where the win might come. August 17th, they play Hamilton. August 27th, they play Ottawa. Hamilton's not good. The Elks still lost to them. Ottawa actually looks like they're kind of exciting and could be a dangerous team. So anyway, this this looks like, unfortunately, it could go on a while, though I, I know Thursday's game starts 0-0, and, and the optimists among you will say you never know. Yes, that's why you play the game. The 1994, now some people won't even, this won't even make sense to the younger people in the audience. I've got a young colleague out here in the hallway listening to the show because I don't know what it's like at your work, but some of my colleagues gather around the room I work in just sort of to watch me do my thing. But I have a very uh, young and, by the way, outstanding colleague out here in the hallway taking in the show. This would not make sense to her, this team name that I'm going to say. The 1994 Shreveport Pirates. Put up your hand if you remember them. No, her hand is not going up. I don't know how many hands out there listening went up. The 1994 Shreveport Pirates started the year 0-14. They then rallied to finish the season 3-15. and They went 14 games from the start of the year without a win. Kellen, you're, you remember some of these mm-hmm. wacky American teams that we had. That's yes. the Shreveport Pirates. I believe it was in Shreveport. Chris Cuthbert told that incredible story on this show several years ago where Cuthbert was awoken in the middle of the night by a phone call to his hotel a hotel room and it was a death threat for a guy named Dave or something and Chris said no no Dave's not here and these people saying well it doesn't matter you're dead that would be a tough call to oh lovely that's a, that's Shreveport hospitality for you yeah, no kidding yeah, I don't think they put that in their tourism brochure no Shreveport you'll get death threats in the middle of the night visit now Low hotel rates. So Shreveport started 0-14 in 1990. In an 18-game season, that's more than starting, I guess, the season 0-14. That's almost finishing it. Uh, So the Elks aren't there yet, but that's the the worst start ever. The 2003 Hamilton Tiger Cats, and I remember this season fairly well. Edmonton had a good team that year. Uh, Hamilton coached by Ron Lancaster in 2003. Started the season 0-12. They beat the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in overtime to get what turned out to be their only win of the season. So uh, they beat Saskatchewan 27-24 in overtime. They got to 1-12. They lost their their five remaining games. Uh, I, I know I've been sounding very pessimistic about the green and gold, but we could be looking at a very, very low win total for this team unless things change significantly. I know it's difficult. I know it's difficult on many of you. I have talked to uh, fans, fellow season ticket holders, obviously through my work to to, to listeners, like many of you listening tonight, um, you know, alum of the team, both in terms of former players and former people who worked uh, – you know, in, in other areas of football operations or communications, it's tough. It's tough to watch because they're not overly competitive in a lot of these games. Or when it goes bad, it goes incredibly bad. And uh, it, it's it's obviously wearing on the coaches and players as well. Chris Jones was asked today by Global's Kevin Carius who he leans on when the going gets tough. 
I don't need nobody to lean on. I lean on myself. I'm strong enough. I was raised the right way, and, and I know exactly what you need to do in tough times. It takes tough people. What about like even like maybe 15 years ago, would you have called Don Matthews? And you know uh, what I mean? No. No, I mean, uh, Don was a good mentor for me. Huff was a good, good mentor for me. Again, uh, I learned toughness from uh, where I was raised. All right. I, I will say this. Uh, and and I've, I, I'm sure I've said this before at some point on the show. And look, Chris Jones deserves his share of criticism for the record of the team too. But I, I've often thought to myself over the years that that coaching must be a very lonely profession because I think the only people who understand it are other coaches, and those other coaches who might understand what you're going through are are the ones you're competing against. So you know, Chris Jones can't uh, call up. Uh, you know, Mike O'Shea or uh, or Jason Moss and say, oh, man, I, I'm, I'm so down right now. Well, no, you wouldn't do that. So I, I've, I have thought that before. It's probably a very, very lonely profession at times. There's some more tough news out of practice today. Niles Morgan, who I think might be the Elks' best player this season. I know he had a bit of a meltdown there late in the game against Hamilton. I'm not trying to excuse that. He's an excellent linebacker. He's uh, got a chest injury. He was limited. Jamin Pelly, defensive lineman, has now a calf injury. So they're on the injured list. Here's what, uh, here's what Jones had to say about those two guys. Yeah, it doesn't look good for Jamin, and we'll see about uh, Niles. He was having a good year, Jamin. Both were actually. Yeah, yeah, they were both having a good year. It's just one of those things, you know, you try to come out and practice hard and get ready to play, and, you know, this is part of, part of pro football. All right, so uh, not good because those are two of the Elks' better players. We'll see if they're maybe Morgan in better shape to play on Thursday at Winnipeg. Doesn't sound so good for Pelly. 780-496-0063. We have Todd on the Certainty Hotline. Todd, go ahead. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Uh, the Elks, uh, they got my money this year. I uh, bought into the hype. Uh, I bought one of those family pack deals, so two youth, two adult. Uh, first time I ever had season tickets, and uh, three games in, I, I was given the ultimatum that we will not be getting season tickets again next season. Uh, it's just it's just hard. That's the hardest part for me is I have you know great memories about that stadium. Uh, my grandpa took me to games. You know, for years, I went with my grandpa, not even my dad. And, uh, you know, I remember those games, you know, 55,000 people plus for um, Labor Day rematch. That was consistent. And now, like, you you show up at that game. I showed up uh, a little bit late, actually, for that game uh, the other day, just about a half an hour before kickoff. They've got the parking barricades up and, and, the, and the cones up for all the uh, park and ride buses, but there's no buses. There's three or four buses. Like, that whole avenue used to be packed with buses. There's no one coming to watch this team. Uh, there's no promotion that Victor Queet can put together that's going to get butts in that seat until they're competitive. I understand that. But I will hit on one thing. There, there's, there's things that they're even failing to do as far as the in-game experience. Uh, not so much the, the third game here, but in the first two games against Saskatchewan and Toronto, there were multiple times where the play was blown in and it still showed on the scoreboards the previous down and yardage. So, you know, I took my dad to uh, the game against the Argonauts. He's, you know, can't see the greatest. He, it, I, know it's a, I know it's a second down. I watched first down, but I, he doesn't know what the yardage is. He doesn't know what the down is, and they're behind. There was multiple times it was third and zero when they're running a first down play. Those are things that, uh, you know, the, the team on the 
the team on the field is one thing, but there's certain things that they can try and do for the fans that are showing up that would make things better. Even last game, they, uh, when they scored that touchdown, uh, the receiver's down by contact. They, they waved the touchdown off immediately. They're throwing footballs in the stands. <laughs> and then, and then oh, the on the fumble, that, on the recovered yeah, fumble, yeah, he on was, the recovered yeah, fumble, yeah. And so, uh, so they're they're immediately they wave it down. Referee is no touchdown, and they're throwing balls in the stands. The play after Cornelius throws the pick, <laughs> it was just comical the sequence of events. And then when they actually score a touchdown, I send my kids down to catch footballs. They don't throw any footballs. So then my kids are looking at me like I'm playing a joke on them or something like that. I don't know what's going on, but it seems like there's malfunction at the junction, both on the team and in the in-game experience. But uh, as somebody who's watched a lot of a lot of uh, Eskimo and now Elks games, like this is this is tough. Just seeing that building as quiet and as empty as it is, it's eerie, actually. Well, Todd, I got to tell you something. Uh, I, I'm glad you brought that up because my dear mother has often commented uh, that sometimes the down and distance on the scoreboard is is behind. Uh, she said, "She said, I, I've, I don't think I've ever said that on air before because I've never really thought of it well, and, and beyond I, I the moment of, of she saying it, but of her saying it. But yeah, she has pointed that out several times. It'll be second and four, and it still says first and ten from the previous play. And and the, and the other thing too, and I know they've changed, uh, or at least since the last time I was going to games, they've changed the PA announcer, and I noticed for the first two games, uh, he was extremely hard to hear. And that's the other one. You kind of." If you're in the lower bowl and in the corners like we are with these value tickets, it, I can't tell what the difference is between a, a four-yard run and a six-yard run. I can't tell, right? Like, it's it's just one of those things. So you rely on that PA announcer as well. And I don't know if they had the mix wrong and they were playing volume over top of what the PA guy. It wasn't as bad in this last game against Hamilton, but that was something else, too. You used to rely on that guy to say, hey, uh, so-and-so throws it to so-and-so, gain it six yards, you know, second and four. Or, you know what I mean, flag on the play, whatever it was. And so if you're, uh, you know, if you're an older fan like my father is, right, he, he's, he's looking for something. He's looking for any help because we're on the opposite side of being able to see where the actual line of scrimmage is with the second down, like with the ball marker, right? So you can't see it. So it's first down, second so Todd, down. You can't. So I'm going to jump in there. Todd. First of all, thank you for calling because people with the organization do listen to this show and it's another way for them to hear feedback. I really appreciate it, man. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, 780-496-0063. That is uh, from Todd checking in some of his observations, not just, as he said, we know it's bad on the field, but some of the other things about the stadium experience that uh, that uh, aren't rolling for him this year. All right. Uh, quarterback, it's not changing. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We'll talk about that inside Sports on Chet. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by James H. Brown and Associates, Alberta's precedent-setting injury lawyers. All right, thanks for tuning in. So based on Elks practice today, of course, Dave Campbell and Morley Scott uh, covering the practices for us. Uh, Taylor Cornelius remains the Elks starting quarterback. Oh, boy. Uh Look, he's he's clearly struggled. There there have been signs of better play at times the last couple of weeks, but his, his mistakes are huge. 
We've seen uh, a lot of Cornelius now really for the last two seasons, and there really hasn't been the improvement that I don't think we would have hoped. You know, again, he's a, he's a fine human being. He's, he's been on this show. He's, he's a good interview, uh, but he's really struggling. His, his accuracy has been below average, if not outright poor. I mean, opening drive against Hamilton, that's got to be a touchdown pass to French on that corner throw. Throws it behind Dunbar, and Dunbar reaches back, and it gets intercepted in the second quarter. Uh, earlier, uh, you know, French was alone in the end zone. He doesn't see him, and then he underthrows him by a couple of yards. A lot of other throws just coming in too short. And then the the play in the third quarter that really changed the complexion of that game because it was within a touchdown back and forth there for a while. As he's getting sacked, he tries the left-handed throw, and it gets intercepted and taken back for a touchdown. And in my mind, that would forfeit your right to continue playing in, in that game and perhaps for the rest of the season, especially given the quality of the play at other times. Uh, I, I, I know that probably sounds a little harsh. It's not just quarterback play with this team. But you, you need better quarterback play than that. And, and, I, I, and I said this on Twitter after the game on Thursday, that to me, pulling him shows mercy at this point. I mean, you're putting a guy back out there. I, certainly, I don't believe the fan base has faith in him. I would guess maybe some of his receivers at this point don't have a lot of faith in him, though I doubt they would ever admit it. And I, I know we don't know a lot about Jared Dagey, I know when he's coming and played, it's been against softer defenses. He did start that game against Ottawa, which they lost, and he was very up and down in that game. I just wonder if Daigie has a higher end, and if you let him play for five or six weeks in a row, maybe you actually see a step forward. And then, of course, there's Trey Ford. And I, I Kellen, would you, would you say we get something about Trey Ford from the audience pretty much every show? Yeah. I think I would say we do. Basically, yeah. Basically, every it was show. coming in last week well, for sure while you were away. So, uh, so today, Chris Jones was asked, "Why is Trey Ford not being considered for more playing time?" Well, this no. year he has not he has not played as good as what he did last year. So, what does he have to do to get to that level where he has played better? He's a good player, and I'm not trying to be a smartass, but. That's the facts. You know, I'm not going to hide from it. He didn't come back to camp, and he didn't he didn't perform as good as he did a year ago. A year ago, he was the second. He was behind Arbuckle just barely, and uh, we gave the start to the to the more experienced guy, and uh, and then from there he got nicked up, and then you know it was it was late until he came back this year in camp. He's not shown that. Uh, he's shown it in spurts, uh, but you got to you got to do more than what he did during camp in order to get the opportunities. Okay, so there's Chris Jones' pretty blunt answer about Trey Ford. He hasn't played well enough in camp and in practices, though he continues to work. So I I don't know. I mean, maybe Cornelius is simply their best option right now, which is a little scary to think. But anyway, that's a quick look at the double E today. We'll discuss them a little more later. And, of course, the Elks this week with Morley Scott is coming up at 7.30. I was talking about those two incredible finishes on Saturday. That doesn't happen to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. They're the team that doesn't lose like that. How did it happen?